All right, good morning, everybody. Morning, how's it going? All right, so um, I will say one of my least favorite things about masks is it leaves this nice indent in my beard. You bearded folks know what I'm talking about. Alan knows, right? So if I'm playing with this, I'm sorry. It's just because I want I'm a little self-conscious on how it looks. I'm also still trying to figure out how to make it uh, a little bit more of a fashion accessory. You know, it can make, pretend it's like a nice pocket square or something, right? I don't know. Okay, anyway. Um, good morning. Uh, how's everybody doing? I know I've asked that, but I want to hear again. I want to interact with you. I love all of you. Um, I love the opportunity to be able to speak this morning. Um, <clears throat> We are finishing up this series called Purpose, and the, the whole premise behind this series was to really get into what is our purpose as a church, and ultimately that, that inevitably involves part of what is our purpose as human beings, even living, um, what does it look like for us to even go about this life, what is our purpose, what is the meaning of life, and, and a lot of that is folded up into what our mission as a church is too and what we are called to do. So we've been sharing our mission statement every week. I'm gonna share it again this morning just so you're aware if, if, if you're newer or if you're still getting acquainted with us. This is the heartbeat of our church. Our mission is to equip every single person to take the next step into, in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it all boils down to. We want to help connect you with God and to help you to develop a deeper faith. So we have four prongs that we've been going through on what does this actually look like? What does this look like for us as a church to equip you and for us to collectively take deeper next steps with Jesus? And so we've been going through, the first week was connect with God, right? The very foundation of, of who we are and what we were created to do is we were, we were created to be in relationship with God. So connect with God, grow in faith. That's the next one because faith is a journey of growth. How many of you know that? <clears throat> it's not something that you... You pray a prayer one time and then you're set for the rest of your life. Faith is a journey of growth. It takes time and we, we, we want to continue to grow into deeper maturity, collectively, but also individually. Number three, last week what we went through serving others because that is absolutely pivotal in our faith, especially if we wanna follow Jesus. He commanded us to serve others. What does that look like for us to, to devote our lives to serving others? <clears throat> and then this morning, is our final one, is we want to help equip you to share the gospel. Share the gospel. And this last one might be the toughest, but it's extremely important, sharing the gospel. Um, and again, just to allude to Sunday morning prayer, Alicia does a great job leading us every, every Sunday morning. You are all invited at 9.15 every Sunday morning. A handful of us gather in this room to, to specifically pray for a handful of needs, but also for this church, for our community, and um, she said it this morning of like, oh, this last one is the one that makes me feel like a little bit of a pit in my stomach. Like, I can do the rest, but, but this one's hard. This one is a tough one. Because the reality is <clears throat> that from a percentage basis, not many Christians actually share the gospel very much. It's a reality. Almost half of or slightly more than half of Christians, this is an older statistic from 2012, but I'm, I'm sure it's either the same, if not worse today, more than half of Christians have not shared the gospel with anyone in the last six months. And yes, that's a window of time, but if you were to extend that, I mean, I think a lot of us, if we have not shared the gospel with someone in the last six months, there's chances, chances are we haven't shared it in years, and years, and years. That should be sobering for us just to, to sit with that reality. 
Another statistic I want to give you is that almost half of church-going millennials, this is my generation, millennials that consider themselves to be strong believers of, of, of Christ that make church a priority, um, almost half, 40 47% agree that it is at least somewhat wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they will one day share the same faith. That there is actual an immorality to that. Almost half. 27% of Gen Xers believe that and 19% of boomers. So this is, this is a trend, right? Um, we don't know how the statistic for, for Gen Z, but this is a trend. We're moving in this direction where there's this general sense that evangelism, you know, a stronger word is proselytizing. That's, that's one. If you hear the word proselytize, you've almost always heard it in a very negative sense, right? Evangelism is moving the same way. We, we look at this negatively. And I want to explore this trend of why. Why is it that we are starting to see it in this light? Why is this trend happening? Why is it so difficult to share our faith? Because if we truly believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, how could we not share it? Well, I think a lot of us have excuses, and I'm going to lump myself in here because I've made all these excuses in my own life. You just may be able to relate with some of these. But it's uncomfortable. That's number one. Well, why don't you share your faith? Oh, it's, it's un, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> There's tension there, right? If you, if you go out of your way to talk about God with someone that doesn't believe or might have a completely different faith, there's a tension there because you don't want to make the other person feel comfortable. You don't want to be judged. You don't want to be rejected. There's a whole flurry of things that can happen. You put yourself out there. It's a whole lot easier just to talk sports or the weather or the most recent headlines <clears throat> in the news. It's uncomfortable. There's a deep fear of rejection for many of us. Anybody fear, afraid of rejection in this room? Okay, I see a lot of hands. I'm surprised that there aren't more. I think you might be lying or just afraid to raise your hand because you might be rejected. I don't know. But there's a fear of being rejected. We're afraid of being judged. There's a there's a stereotype, a caricature of what Christianity is and what, of what Christians are. And many of us are afraid of being lumped into that category, right? The hardcore, uh, conservative nationalist, uh, bigoted, you know, whatever. There's a caricature of Christians out there and we don't wanna be judged and lumped into that category. I think that's another reason why many of us shy away from evangelism or talking about our faith. <clears throat> For many of us, it really just boils down to we just feel like we don't know how to share it. We don't have the words. We feel like we have to have all the answers or we have to have this perfectly well-formulated discourse almost to share before we can actually give it. But that's just not how it works. And I want to draw these out because if we really looked at these, at these excuses and added them all up, if, if we had to make sure that none of these applied in, any, in, a, in a given circumstance to share our faith, we would never share the gospel ever, right? If you are waiting for a moment where it's not comfortable, where you're not gonna offend someone, where you're not gonna be rejected, where you're gonna have all the perfect words, if you're gonna wait for that set of circumstances, it will never happen. So what do we do? We have to figure it out. We have to lean in anyway. I think for many of us, when we add up all these excuses, um, I've seen this over and over again on an individual level, but also just on a broader level in the Christian faith is we, we then begin to justify it and spiritualize it almost. 
I don't know if you've heard this quote, but there's a very clever and popular quote that I've heard many times and we can often knock it around, is that we should preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. You ever heard that? That feels really good. That sounds good, right? Just a short, pithy statement. Ooh, okay, I can get with that. It's almost always attributed to someone named St. Francis of Assisi. He was the founder of this Franciscan order, a a phenomenal figure in church history. Problem is, he never said it. I don't even know who said it. I was trying to find it out. It's always attributed to him, but there isn't a shred of evidence of him saying anything remotely close to that. So one, we don't know where that statement comes from. It sounds nice. But the other problem with this quote is that the the intention is almost to try to say that quote-unquote living out the gospel is somehow more virtuous than actually telling someone the gospel. It pits them against each other. And that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. And that's, that's, we don't need to pit them against each other either. They should always go hand in hand. We should always be living out the gospel and proclaiming it and sharing it. <clears throat> and beyond that too, I think many, many times when this comes up, it comes with this spirit of arrogance, almost saying that if you, if you are one of those people that is out there boldly sharing your faith or telling people about God, there's something, you know, you know you gotta be really careful because you might push people further away. You might offend someone. You might do this. You might do that. And that, that's morally worse than just living it out and hoping that people see your good example and come to the faith on their own. So we can justify it. We can spiritualize it. And what, ha- what has happened because of that is we've made, lar- in large part, we've made evangelism optional. Whether you've meant... meant you may not have actually thought those words or have, have made that conscious decision, but many of us have stepped into this place where I will share the gospel in the right circumstance. It's optional. Or we think to ourselves, you know what, it's optional for me. Someone else will do it. That's for the, the people with the spiritual gift of evangelism. But that's not how it works. <clears throat> many of us will pray for people to be saved, but we won't actually talk to them about Jesus ourselves. Some of us can be really good about sitting back and pointing fingers and judging the world around us for how bad and how corrupt and how evil they are, but we won't actually go to them with the hope that Jesus told us to go to them with. We share a lot of things before we share the gospel. I mean, I do too, right? Because there's a lot of things that are easier. We are are much quicker to share our opinions, our favorite TV shows, our experiences, our advice, our favorite products, You know, we are quick to share a lot of things. Why are we not quick to share the gospel? I want to sit in that tension a little bit this morning. Because this is a real, real pivotal question for those of us who claim to follow Jesus. Are we more likely to tell people about our new favorite show on Netflix than we are about the God who gave the life of his son to save us and to save them? This is a big deal. And it's a big deal because it, it's a big deal to Jesus. So I want to explore this this morning. My first point, we've been going through, uh, in each, each of these four things, we've been giving five points. It's just this thing we've been doing. So I'm going to give you five points this morning. If you're taking notes, I really encourage you to write these things down. Um, even if you never look at it again, something happens. If you write things down or type it, your brain will actually commit it to a deeper memory. 
you'll be able to remember this better if, if you write it down, even if you never look at it again. So I encourage you to take notes. <clears throat> but number one, we are saved to be sent, not to sit. This is, this is inherently tied to our salvation, is we are saved to be sent. If Jesus is the hope of the world, you carry the hope of the world with you everywhere you go. Jesus commissioned us to share this, and it's not optional. So we look at Mark chapter 1, 16 through 18. This is Jesus calling his first disciples. He says this, or Mark writes, he says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. You see, this is the very first call of Jesus' followers, of his disciples. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. They're, they're inextricably linked. They will forever be linked. When we, call, when we are called to follow Jesus, we are called to go fish for people. What that means is to bring more, and to do our part in bringing more brothers and sisters home to our Heavenly Father. To fish for people. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is, we commonly refer to this as the Great Commission. Really encourage you to know this passage. This is a really, really important one just to know. Even if you don't know it verbatim, just know where it is, where to find it, um, and the general concept behind it. But this, these are the last words of Jesus recorded in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, after the resurrection. He's already died and resurrected, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, all authority that exists ever, period, in heaven and earth, it's mine, all of it. And with that authority, I am telling you to go. Go make disciples. He sends us. Acts chapter 1-8. Jesus is saying this again. This is post-resurrection before he ascends into heaven. He says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's, what does a witness do? Shout it out. What does a witness do? Says the truth for others to hear. Says the truth for others to hear. What else? They, they, they say what they saw, what they experienced, what they heard, right? That's what a witness does. You put them up on the witness stand and they're asked questions, and they are just respon they're, they're responsible for, for telling the truth of what they heard and what they saw. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the world. You, you, you can't be a witness if you don't speak. I mean, to an extent, you can model a good life, but witnesses speak. They tell what they experienced, what they heard, what they saw, what they've gone through. And then John 20, verse 21 it says again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There's a lot more passages out there, but what I'm trying to get home is that, that we are saved to be sent. The gospel was never meant to be sat with or sat on. 
The church was never meant to be a club where we just come together with like-minded people of our, of our own and just sit with our truth and like, hey, cool, we can feel good about ourselves for another Sunday and then go back into the world. Like, that's not what the church was meant to, to be. The church is meant to be a mission launching pad, essentially. We, we, go, we come here to worship Jesus, to learn together, to grow together, and then we're sent back into the world with the hope of the world, the gospel. So you may be thinking, okay, okay, great. I know it's important, I get it, but I still don't wanna do it. <laughs> I still don't wanna do it. Okay, you're not alone, and that's okay to feel that, right? I feel that at times. But I wanna point something out because I think that one reason that many Christians don't share the gospel very often is that we don't really know what it is. I wanna try expanding our, our vision of what the gospel is a little bit this morning. Um, because typically when we hear the gospel, the word gospel, we tend to think, if, you, if you've been in church long enough, the way that we might try to summarize it is something along the lines of, okay, Jesus died for your sins, he died on the cross, rose again, and you can, if you believe in him, then your sins will be forgiven and you can live have eternal life with him forever. Something like that, right? We boil it down to that very quick little explanation. But the gospel is so much bigger than that. It is. So I wanna expand our vision of this a little bit. This is point number two. The word gospel, gospel is not a religious word. It's a political one. The word gospel is a political word in origin. So when we hear this word, we almost always think of spirituality, or we think about the Christian faith. That's that tends to be where our mind goes. But if we actually go back into what this word actually means, it's a political word. Gospel means good news, or like grand announcement, essentially, is what it means. That's what the word means. Gospel, it's not a word we use very often unless it's in a Christian context, but that's what it means. It means good news, right? But if you go back far enough in history, in the Greco-Roman world, even from the time of Alexander the Great and on into the Roman Empire, this word was used to refer to history-making, world-shaping reports of political, military, or societal victories. That's how it was used. So when we say the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's, that's only one gospel. There was a gospel of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the Caesar, the Roman um, emperor who lived when Jesus was born. Caesar Augustus, and he had a gospel, quote unquote. His gospel was this grand announcement of the Pa Romana. I, I don't have this on the screen, but it basically means the peace of Rome. He established a peace in the land that had never, ever been seen before in the course of human history, ever. And it was his gospel. So heralds were sent out, people to go announce this great, amazing news, to go say, hey, Caesar Augustus accomplished this, this big, amazing gospel, this announcement, there's now peace in the land. So gospel is a political term. But so what does it mean in a Christian sense then? Let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew 4, verse 23. <clears throat> and he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This phrase shows up all throughout the book of Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom. And another synonym that shows up often is the gospel of God. So Mark chapter one, 
verse 14 through 15 in another instance. Says, now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. There's that synonym there. And saying, this is what he would say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you see what, what is Jesus saying? What's the gospel? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. The kingdom of God is here. <clears throat> and so when we say the kingdom, quote unquote, we don't really have a, a very large frame of reference for this because we live in America, land of the free, democracy, right? Anybody in here? Okay, I, I always get a kick out of that. Sometimes, you know, we'll say, hey, we're a democracy. And then some, there's always someone who's like, no, we're a de- democratic republic. Anybody in here like, okay. Yes, Josh, you do that? Okay, okay, so anyway. I don't know why you do that. Does it, does it really matter? Okay, anyway, we're the land of the free, freedom of speech, fireworks, America, right? Okay, that's where we live. That's our context. We live in America. You don't tell me what to do. I tell me what to do. And even then, I might not listen. <laughs> Kingdoms don't work that way. Kingdoms don't work that way. A kingdom is a land that is ruled by a king. Sounds simple? So when Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's preaching that, okay, you know what? God's rule and reign here on earth is here. It's now. God's in charge. He's going to establish his kingdom. And God's kingdom is diametrically opposed to the kingdom of Caesar Augustus. It just is. Because in one, you can't have two kings. You get one king. Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of God is here. That's the gospel. So what does this look like for us when we share it? When we, what do we tell people? Do we tell the same thing? Like the, hey, the gospel, the kingdom of God is here. Okay, that might not make a whole lot of sense. It made a lot more sense when Jesus was saying it in his day. We know a lot more now. We know a lot more because we've seen Jesus' life play out. We've seen what, what his disciples experienced, what they taught, what they went out, and, and, and we see that this, this message has, has shaped but, and changed. But what I want to boil this down to is that even though we can summarize the gospel in a few sentences if we wanted to, the gospel is still so much bigger a quick summary. Jesus himself is the gospel. I want you to know this and hear this. Jesus, the person, is the gospel. Okay, and you might be like, okay, Alex, you're just making it more confusing. Well, let's get into this. When we share the gospel, all we do is just tell people about Jesus because he is the gospel. You talk about Jesus, you're sharing the gospel. Tell people about Jesus And there is always a call to believe it. Jesus himself said that, right? Said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe it. Believe in it. So there's always a call to believe. But it's simply Jesus. So I want to draw our attention. This isn't going to be on the screen. The reference will be. I would want to encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. Because if we want to know what did the disciples first tell people? Like, what was the gospel that they shared? This is where you find it. 
And I think more, more of us need to understand that this is where we go. This is what was originally preached. So Paul is writing this, and he says, now, brothers and sisters, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. So very quickly, he's opening this up and saying, look, I'm gonna remind you about the gospel, okay? I've already told you this. You've already believed in it, but I'm just gonna remind you what it is. And he's writing this down. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So he's also saying that, hey, I received this gospel. I'm not making this up. These are not Paul's words. These are the words that were formulated by the early church, by the rest of the disciples. And what do we tell people? And he says this, that Christ, Jesus, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. So Paul is saying, what's the gospel? That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day, and then he appeared to people. That was the early formula of the gospel. That's what they told people. They told people about Jesus. It's about him. It's about his life. He was died, or he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he appeared. And what I love about this is Paul's writing. He says, he appeared to over 500 people, and most of them, when he was at the time of writing, most of them are still alive. You can go ask them about it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I wish we had that. That'd be pretty nice. But they had that. The writers of Scripture and the early church had that. He's like, hey, you could go talk to Jimmy. Like, he saw it. He saw Jesus come back. <laughs> go talk to him. He's a witness. But what I want to draw our attention to is that the gospel is just, it's Jesus. I'm going to use the word the Christ event. That's, that's my favorite way just to describe it because if you talk about the Christ event, the event that is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, that is the good news. Our hope is in a person and in a historical event. So when we talk about the gospel, what is this good news that we're proclaiming? What is this good news that we're telling people? It's Jesus. God himself came in the flesh, lived the life that we were supposed to live, died the death that we were supposed to die, and then he was resurrected from the dead, defeating sin and death once and for all, and now he is fully in charge completely over everything. And his kingdom is a reality here and now. That's the good news. And there's a lot of different ways to talk about it, but the old, what it comes down to is if you talk about Jesus, you're sharing your faith. You're sharing the gospel. You talk about Jesus. It's a person. He is in charge, not man, not us. When he came onto the scene saying, I'm in charge. God is in charge, <clears throat> not the Caesar. 
not human beings. And as he's establishing his kingdom, we, as his children and the rest of the world, we are given this choice. Which kingdom are we going to submit to? Are we going to submit to the kingdom of God? Or are we going to submit to the kingdom of man? Those are two very different things. So point num- number four is the gospel is everything. And what I mean by this is the gospel is all-encompassing. It, is, it radically changes the landscape of our lives, of, of everything, of society, of the world around us. It changes everything. It's not something you just add on to your life. It's not something you just do on a Sunday, one day a week. The gospel isn't just something you do at one point in your life so that you can go to heaven when you die. It needs to change everything because what happens is you're living into a brand new kingdom. A brand new kingdom. And Jesus is establishing his kingdom. I'm gonna do something kind of fancy here. I love technology, so just uh, go with me on this. But uh, I'm gonna draw something out for you here. Okay, so we've got two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Y'all seen this? Sweet, awesome, cool. Uh, two different kingdoms. They are opposed. So if we draw out some of these differences, what, is it, what does it mean when we talk about the kingdom of God is here? Well, let's first talk about what, what it mean, means for us, right? Let's talk about identity. Who are we in each of these kingdoms? In the kingdom of God, we, our identity, is we are made in the image of God. IOG, short for image of God. Image of God. In the kingdom of man, we are made in the image of self. In the kingdom of God, you are made in his image. You have inherent dignity as a human being and no one can take that away from you, period. But he created you, he formed you, and he gets to decide who you are. He has your identity, he knew you before you were born, he knitted you in your mother's womb, he created you. That's your identity and there's so much more that goes on in that. In the kingdom of man, you get to decide whoever the heck you wanna be. It's image of yourself, right? We get to make up our identities however we want. And more often than not, that is extremely destructive. It wrecks havoc. Especially if the kingdom of God, if this is true, right? If God created us in a very specific way and we said, you know what? No, God, I don't like how you made me. I'm going to be whatever I wanna be. How do you think that's gonna work out well? Is that gonna work out well? you try to use a hammer as a screwdriver, it's not going to work very well. Right? Image of God, image of self. In the kingdom of God, I'll go, I'll go this far too, especially for those of us who are following Jesus. We've put our faith in him. We are now children of God, right? We are children of God. He has adopted us. He said, you are mine, Period. And he hands us everything. We are co-heirs with Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus' inheritance from his Father in heaven is the same inheritance that we get. That's pretty amazing. In the kingdom of man, you're just some other average Joe. You're nobody. You're random. You're random. And your value is dictated by, by what you bring to society. 
if you cannot contribute, you are less valuable. Right? Do you look at your kids that way? If I, if I looked at my kids that way and I looked at Henry right now, I'm like, dude, you're not contributing very much. You got to shape up or else, you know, like, I don't know if you can live here anymore. No, he's my child. He's my child. He just belongs. Right? And I love him. Not because he deserves it. I mean, he might. He's pretty dang cute. But I love him because he is my child. If we talk about our destiny, there's another difference. Destiny. What is our destiny? Well, in the kingdom of God, our destiny is eternal life. Eternal life with God in heaven. In man, our destiny is probably a decent life. Maybe we can go, I mean, we're in America, right? So we can go American dream, maybe. Maybe that's our destiny and that's what we can live for and someday we'll die and we don't get to take anything with us. Cool, that's fun. But with that destiny of eternal life, the Bible tells us that we are fully redeemed. We, are, we will be restored. That in, in the cross, in the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has made us new creations. There's another great passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. There's something new about you, right? You are justified, you are redeemed, you are sanctified, you are made new, you are completely restored, and yes, that's gonna play out over time as well, but Jesus looks at us and says, that is true of you now. You are perfect in my eyes, and you don't need to earn a thing from me. It's true, here it is, it's a gift. The American dream, whatever we live for, whatever this world tries to offer us is all about scratching and clawing and trying to get more. What can I get out of this life? What can I earn? It's about me. It's about me. We get to purpose. In the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man, you have a purpose, right? And our purpose is to expand the kingdom, to, be, to join God in his mission in reaching the world. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. That's our purpose. That's our mission. That's what we're here to do. It's to bring more sons and daughters home to their heavenly father. Kingdom of man, your purpose could be whatever you want it to be, but it's gonna be shallow. It, it just will be. It's gonna be building my kingdom. Building a bigger house. Getting a nicer car, getting a new job, uh, you know, finding satisfaction somewhere. It's gonna be about us trying to earn and build our kingdom. That's really our purpose, right? And sometimes that might show up in some ways that, that we might deem really nice. Like if you devote your life to a nonprofit or something like that or, or serving others, that's great. But typically what happens apart from Christ is we still, you still boil it down. It's about us feeling good. Typically, you ask a lot of people that don't know Jesus, why do they do nice things for people? Why do they serve? Why do they do nonprofit work? Oh, it makes me feel good. You know, it's, it's satisfying. It's rewarding. It's still about me. In the kingdom of man, it's, it's really up to us. And then let's get to ethics. I want to talk about ethics for a second. That's what's right and wrong. In the kingdom of God, the ethics, there is an absolute moral good. So absolute good or, or bad, right? It's absolute. God dictates it, and it just is. In the kingdom of man, it's all relative. You know, how many of you have heard, hey, 
that may be true for you, that's not true for me. Right? What's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. That sounds nice. It's, it's ridiculous. It's bogus. Because again, if, okay, if you say that to me honestly, I'm like, okay, well, it is good for me, Mark, to take your wallet, so please hand it over. That is good to, that's good for me. <laughs> Did you say it won't get me very far? Okay. <laughs> Still, you know, hand it over. But again, if, if we really boil it down to, okay, well, I get to decide what's good for me or what's true for me, we, we are still held in check by society, right? That's, when we say that, we, don't, we might not be thinking about, well, we can draw it out, like, okay, wait, no, we don't really get to decide what's good for us, but you know what? Society gets to get together and decide what is good for us as a society. Okay, well, that still breaks down, right? I'm sure we've all been hearing some of the stuff that's been going on in Afghanistan right now. How many of you really want to look at the Taliban and say, you know what? That's their society. They've got majority rule, they're in power, you know, they get to decide what's good for them as a society, and that's good. I'm gonna affirm everything that they do as long as it's over there and not impeding on my rights. Do we really wanna do that? If we make truth relative and put it in man's hands, ooh, it will, it will be corrupted and distorted and it will lead to a bunch of pain. But if God is good, truly good, as we believe he is, then what he says is right and wrong, we can trust that always and take it to the bank. And it's not up to us to decide. And I hope you see a trend here, right? You see this trend, this kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. Really, it's either God or it's us. And this is the struggle that has always played out from the very beginning of time. We see this in the, in the story of Adam and Eve. God created them, said, okay, here, here's how life works. Here, here's the rules. You get to do whatever the heck you want for the most part, but awesome. You get to uh, procreate. That's fun. You get to take care of the world. <laughs> you get to be good stewards. And uh, just don't touch that one tree. You get to eat from any tree in the garden. Just don't touch the one. And the deception is from the serpent who says, Did God really say? God just doesn't want you to be like him. The deception that, that was awakened in their hearts was, I could be like God. The, the universal human decision we have is, are we going to say yes and submit to God, or are we going to say, no, I want to be God? It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of man. The kingdom of man is saying, I want to be God. In every instance. I want to talk a little bit about the king of this kingdom. Same thing. If we have kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man, we have different kings, people in charge, right? Obviously, God is in charge. He is the king of his kingdom. The kingdom of man, there could be a lot of different people, right? If we look at America, okay, we got our government, we got our president, we have our structure, we've got our system. But what do we have in our king? God is good, always. Jesus is good. We saw that, we see that in the life of Jesus. He's good perennially. Always, 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 always is he good. Kingdom of man, you know, at best we have flawed leaders, but often the reality is that they're always corrupt. Always. Power corrupts. It just does. We have a king who is characterized by sacrifice. He gave everything for us on the cross. Everything he had, the life of his son, he gave it for us. 
In the kingdom of man, we often have our leaders sacrificing others for either themselves or, quote unquote, the greater good. They sacrifice other people. In God, we have a king who became one of us. Jesus became human, and he became a lowly human. He was humble. In the kingdom of man, our leaders are set apart from us. I don't know Joe Biden. <laughs> they become this unreachable figure, right? We set them up on this pedestal, and, and like, they're just untouchable. Like, they, they don't know. As much as we want to say and look to our politicians as if they can be empathetic to us, they are not empathetic to for us, none of them. They don't know our situations. They're set apart. God is humble. Man is boastful. We have to look to our accomplishments, like, oh, I accomplished this much, therefore I deserve to be your ruler, your leader. This might be characteristic of the whole kingdom, but I, I just gotta bring this up too. God is characterized by forgiveness. And in the kingdom of man, the king of man is always characterized by judgment. For a world that loves to say, do not judge me, we judge way more than God does. Seriously, I'm reading through the Old Testament. I've mentioned this a few times before. I'm in the, I'm in the middle of Ezekiel right now. And yes, there is a lot of judgment language in the Old Testament, but constantly throughout it, constantly you see God say, if you would only turn, if you would turn, I would, I would forgive everything. I'd forget it, and you'd be good, and you will live. Done. Constantly does he say that. Constantly. The problem is that they never do. That's why there's so much judgment language in the Old Testament is because they never turn back to God and say, okay, I'll submit to your kingdom. They just, they never do. But we live in a world where if you do something wrong in, at 12 years old and someone finds it up on social media, it could brand you for the rest of your life and you are outcasted, you are blacklisted. You're judged for the rest of your life. We don't forgive. We just don't. We could look to name after name after name after name of celebrities in particular that are targeted and as soon as we find some dirt on them, we brand them and cast them off and they're dead to us forever. No matter how much they apologize. Kingdom of man is a whole heck of a lot more judgmental than God is. God is willing to forgive at a moment's notice, period. So this isn't necessarily like a, a, a uh, coat, like, oh yeah, there's my family. You can see that. This isn't necessarily a comprehensive list, but I wanted to give you this to try to get you to think about these lists. The difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. They're two different kingdoms and they're at war with each other because you cannot say, I want to be God and also I love God and I want to submit to him. You can't do both. And as Christians, as people that follow Jesus, this is the choice we have. Are we going to follow God and submit to his kingdom or are we gonna to continue to build our own or submit to the, the way of the world around us? So when we talk about the gospel, it changes everything. You can talk about God in every aspect of life. Why? Because God and his kingdom should change every aspect of life, period. So this is a long-winded way of saying, no matter where you are in life, you can talk about Jesus. You may not be able to say that quick summary of, yeah, if you, if you 
pray this prayer. If you, I mean, Jesus died for your sins, and if you pray this prayer and if you accept him, then you'll, your sins will be forgiven and you'll spend the rest of eternity with him. Like, yes, that's true. You might not always have an instance to say that, but you can talk about Jesus at any time, especially if you've allowed him to be a part of every aspect of your life. The gospel is everything. And then my last point is this. This might be a little bit more practical, but sharing the gospel is most effective in relationship. It just is. And again, if we look at Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom is characterized by relationship. The kingdom of man sometimes is, but it's typically, oh, if that relationship is beneficial to me, then I'll entertain that relationship. That tends to be how it goes. The kingdom of God, remember, image of God. In the kingdom of God, we look at another human being, doesn't matter who you're looking at, that person has inherent dignity they are created by the same God that you were. You have no place to judge. You have no place to look down on them. You have no place to take away their humanity in any shape or form. It always has to be done in relationship. And that's where it's most effective because our God is all about relationships. We're talking about sons and daughters here. I've used the, the, the terminology before, right? If you believe in Jesus, you are a son and daughter of the God of gods, the Lord of lords. It's just true. What I love about that is that makes all of us brothers and sisters. Do we look at each other that way? Do we look at each other with that light? Does that mean that you can't share the gospel with someone you don't know? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means is that if you're going to share the gospel with someone you don't know, you better look at them with love. You better care about them first. I mean, I've had plenty of interactions with people that I don't know, right? It doesn't mean like, doesn't mean I don't love them or don't care about them. What it means, though, is if I am just out to get converts, if I'm just out to convince someone to think the way that I think, if I share the gospel in whatever words that I think are, are you know, a good summary, if I share the gospel and if someone says no, what do I do? Do I say, okay, cool, I'm done with you. I'm gonna go to the next person. Is that loving? No. It's gotta be about the person, Always. It's about relationship. But all that to say is that sharing the gospel is best done in relationship. If you are not willing to develop a relationship with someone, chances are they're, they're not gonna care what you have to say. Whether or not someone believes in Jesus is not your responsibility, it's not your concern. Your job is to share the gospel and to love the person. And please hear me on that too, because this has a whole lot of implications. Jesus is the one who saves, not you. So release yourself from that burden, okay? Honestly, I feel this too. It's easy to fall into the mindset of, okay, I have to say this as perfectly as possible or else that person might never believe in Jesus. Have you ever, ever thought anything kind of close to that? Okay, that one, Jesus doesn't want you to think that way. That's devastating. That's putting way too much of an emphasis or an onus on you, Jesus is the one who saves, not you. Your job is to love people and to tell people about Jesus, and he'll take care of the rest. So if you share the gospel with someone and they reject you or they say no, cool, brush it off and just love them as best you can. Just keep going. That's your job, and God will honor that. 
I also want you to know that this means that you don't have to have the perfect words. <laughs> you just don't. I will tell you also that the instances where I feel like I have shared the gospel in the most articulate, poignant, well-thought-out manner, are the, those are the times where I have been ignored the most. <laughs> Seriously. I had a point um, shortly after high school, I had a chance and I was so excited. I was a young Christian and I was learning so much and I was so excited. I was really getting into an apologetics kick as well, um, just basically being able to answer tough questions about the faith. And I had a really good conversation with a friend of mine from high school and I felt like I could answer every single one of his questions. I felt like I could articulate the gospel and I felt, I left feeling like there's no way he could have any objection to anything I just said because I said it so well. And he's just like, dude, no. <laughs> I disagree with all of that. I'm like, how? But, you know, again, it's not about our words. Our words do not convince people. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. It's still our job to talk about Jesus, to share the gospel, whatever that looks like. So I, I can't really give you a very clear step-by-step -step process of, okay, how do you share your faith? But what I can tell you is to love people, be in relationships, introverts, you don't have an excuse Please hear me on that. I'm an introvert. You got to learn how to do it. <laughs> do it in your way. But be in relationship with people. Go out of your way to get to know people. Care about them. And find a way to talk about Jesus. Could be the smallest ways. But if you talk about Jesus as you know him, as the Bible reveals him, even in the slightest ways, you are exposing someone to the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the one who's in charge. but we gotta take a step. We gotta do something. We have to do something. The Great Commission, I wanna bring this up again because as another encouragement for you to walk away with is that Jesus goes with us. That last statement, Jesus says, surely I will be with you always until the end of the age. You don't go alone. Every single time you are interacting with another human being, Every single time you share the gospel and talk about Jesus or, or just share your life with someone, Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. I think that's a great thought. Have you ever thought about it that way? Even if you don't say anything, because obviously you don't necessarily have to talk about Jesus every time you talk with someone. But even if you don't say anything about Jesus, if you're in relationship with someone, they're in relationship, even though it's indirectly, they're in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's in you. So, okay, quick recap, and then I'll give you a few ideas of some next steps. But recap, we've talked about number one. We are saved to be sent, not to sit. We were never meant to sit on the gospel, ever. Number two, gospel is not a religious word. It's a political one. That's one of the coolest thoughts for me, because it's, again, it's like sometimes we over-spiritualize things as Christians, but it's, it's, it's a proclamation that an event happened, and it's really good. It's awesome. It's a political word. Number three, Jesus himself, the person, the Christ event, he is the gospel. If you talk about Jesus, you are talking about the gospel. Number four, the gospel is everything. It is all-encompassing. It needs to change everything about our lives, and it also has implications for every aspect of life for the rest of the world. And number five, sharing the gospel is most effective in relationship. Relationship matters so much to this. 
but we need to take a step. For some of you, that's going to mean accepting the gospel. Maybe you haven't believed in it yet. Jesus' words, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means to turn, okay? Turn away from. So we're looking at the kingdom of man and that we've been living here. All it means is, okay, I'm gonna turn this way and I'm gonna start looking toward the kingdom of God and I'm gonna believe it. That's all it means. Jesus said that, repent and believe. So for some of us, the first step is you just gotta believe in the gospel. Believe in Jesus. Start there. Start there. And we can help you with that. I'd love to walk with you through that if, if you have not done that before. For some of you, it means your next step might be letting the gospel change your life more. If you've, only, if you've left the gospel or your spiritual life or your faith with Jesus to Sunday mornings here at church, you gotta open up and say, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna hand you the rest of my life. If there's any aspect of your life that you've been holding on to, like, okay, Jesus, you can have control in this, these areas of my life, but I still want to hold on to on the blank. My finances. I wanna hold on to my spending habits, my, the way I use my entertainment time, my, my free time, quote, unquote. I wanna hold on to that. I wanna hold on, hold on to my addictions because they still do something for me. You know, if there's something that you are holding on to, we gotta learn how to let it go and give that to Jesus. Let the gospel transform you. For some of you, that means building relationships with non-believers. I know there's some statistics out there, but basically what happens is that the longer you've been a Christian, the less likely you are to have friends that don't believe. And that's a problem. Like get to know your neighbors, get to know your coworkers. Take an interest in their lives. Go out of your way to love them, to get to know them, to, to, to ask them how you can bless them. They might think you're weird, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But we gotta actually go out of our way to know people that don't know the gospel. If you don't know someone who doesn't know the gospel, who are you gonna share the gospel with? It just means you're gonna sit on it. And for some of us, that will also mean finding ways to strategically talk about Jesus. Because yes, it's not up to our words, but there's definitely some strategy involved. And that strategy changes. I mean, like the way I share my faith will be radically different with a neighbor then it would be with someone that, I don't know, I meet at a grocery store. Or, you know, if you rub shoulders with the homeless whenever we've done some service events in Boulder, right? Like, you're just gonna share your faith differently, and there's some strategy involved, right? How, how can I talk about Jesus? Because often, you know, it's, yeah, if you bring up Jesus randomly, it might be weird. Someone's like, hey, nice day. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is pretty nice too. <laughs> you should talk to him. <laughs> that might not go over very well, okay? But there's some strategy involved. If I can figure out, okay, I don't know. It's gonna be different for everybody, right? But for some of us, we actually just need to sit down and think, okay, what are some ways that I can talk about Jesus and just bring him up? I can tell you from per personal experience, like sometimes it's the instances where I can just bring it up there are a lot of people that are extremely interested in talking about Jesus. You just have to bring it up. And then they'll, they'll ask questions or they'll talk to you about what they think Jesus is. You know, it can open up conversations, but there is some strategy involved. For some of you, it's gonna be getting over your fear and just, just putting yourself out there. 
Recognizing, okay, even if I am rejected, that's okay. Jesus was, Jesus was rejected. He told his disciples himself, he said, hey, if you're hated by the world, you shouldn't be surprised by that. The world hated me first. It's okay. You still love, you still care for people. You still share the good news. And then finally, I think for some of us, it's just talk about Jesus in ways that you're actually experiencing him. If you're not experiencing Jesus, I mean, that, that's the priority. You gotta experience him. Like, if you're not praying or reading your Bible, do those things. Those are the two, I mean, it may sound cliche, but those are the two primary ways that we interact with God. We can interact with him in many other ways, but those are the primary ones. If you're not experiencing God, how do you ever expect to tell someone about the God who loves you, who died for you, who saved you, who wants a relationship with you? You gotta be experiencing him. And honestly, like, it's, the more I've gotten into my Bible, the more I'm excited to share it because I'm like, oh, God is teaching me things. He's, he's bringing things to the forefront of my mind when I need to hear it, and it's changing the way I live and interact with people, and I'm excited about it. I want to tell people about it. But when we boil it all down, what does it mean to share, share the gospel? And this is what we want to help walk with you through as a church is we want to help you to love people and just talk about Jesus. You boil it down, that's how you share the gospel. Love people and talk about Jesus. So with that, I wanna pray for you and, and just encourage you and know that, that your God is for you. You don't have to earn anything from him, but he has sent us on a mission. We are his children and we get to be a part of bringing other brothers and sisters back to our father. So will you stand? Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for your word and thank you for who you are. We thank you that your kingdom is what is the reality. It's the new reality that we are faced with. So I thank you, Jesus. And I pray that you would just give us new ways to talk about you, to experience you. Give us an onus and a conviction to get to know people, to love people, to take an interest in them and just to find ways to, to bring you up in conversation knowing that you are the one who wants to bring light to the darkness. You are the one who wants to completely, radically shape this world for good, to bring your love, your goodness, your righteousness, your purity to this world around us, through us. So we thank you, Jesus, and ask that you would use us, um, encourage us, and lead us as we do that. So we thank you, Jesus, and we give you this morning. Pray all this in your name.